welcome to this podcast, uh, which includes highlights from the uh, partnership between the Ontario Strategy for Patient-Oriented Research Support Unit and Longwoods Publishing. Uh, I'm Anne Wojtek, and I was the guest editor for this special edition uh, from Longwoods Publishing. Uh, and I'm very, very pleased to welcome Annette McKinnon and Maureen Smith, who are patient advisors in helping us develop this special edition. Uh, and I'd love to uh, now introduce Annette and Maureen uh, and ask them both to, to share a little bit about their involvement uh, with this work. Uh, let's start with Annette. Hi, my name's Annette McKinnon. Uh, I'm a patient with a chronic disease, and I'm also a member of the Ontario Spore Support Unit Patient Partner Working Group. Uh, I was honored to be a member of the editorial board for this special edition of the Healthcare Quarterly. And uh, I've enjoyed working with Maureen. She and I wrote the conclusion. So don't miss that if you go back to read the whole art, the whole edition. Thanks, Annette. Maureen. Um, so it's, a, it's great to be here today to have this conversation with, with you, Anne, and my colleague, Annette. Um, I am the chair of the, of the OSSU Patient Partner work, Working Group. And um, I, I come to patient partnered research um, from my lived experience as um, um, when I was diagnosed with a rare disease at the age of eight. And so uh, I call myself a frequent flyer in the healthcare system and I've been involved for, um, for many years. And uh, this experience of being on the uh, Empower editorial board was just wonderful. And uh, one, of the, one of the benefits was I didn't understand the instructions properly and actually read all of the reviews, uh, read all of the articles. So I, <laughs> there you go. So really enjoyed that and really enjoyed, um, got to know Annette. We've known each other for years, but I've never worked closely together and which speaks to the relationships again about patient partnered research, but got to, um, got to know her and uh, really enjoyed the whole experience and really happy to be here today for the podcast. We're pleased to welcome both of you as you were both heavily involved in the development of this special edition of Longwoods. Uh, and so we wanted to start with a few questions about your role. Uh, and so let's start with the first question. So what can you tell us about patient-oriented research? Okay, so patient-oriented research is kind of a term that CIHR, the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, invented um, back in 2011 when they started all this. It's kind of unique to Canada. And it really, it really you know, is, is about an approach to health healthcare research and has kind of three parts to it. So it engages patients, researchers, and other stakeholders as partners in research. It answers questions that are important to patients, and it aims to improve health and the healthcare system. I wasn't there when the term came up in 2011, but I have my own theory. I think it was probably a term that was palatable to all. So I think that, you know, 10 years ago to have called it maybe patient-partnered research um, would have maybe not been accepted. It, would have, it was already controversial in, you know, in, in 2011 and not everyone was on board, but patient-partnered research is really the anchor of patient-oriented research. So, and 10 years later, after it's been, you know, part of our, our Canadian landscape, we can see how that focus on the patient-partnered research has evolved from, from the, these early beginnings when the term first started being, being used in Canada. Yeah, as a person with a chronic disease, 
I read and I share research papers often, especially in the past when I first got onto the internet and support groups were so prevalent. And in fact, I've just discovered that uh, I saw a survey recently that said that journal articles are the third most important online source of information for patients. And as I was reading them though, I found that the research papers I read weren't always relevant to me as a patient. And the conclusions didn't correspond with the experiences I had in my life. Um, I had heard a little bit about patient involvement uh, in research projects through OMARACT, which is the outcome measures in, outcome measures in rheumatology um, that they used in trials. And that predated SPORE. Um, the patient-oriented research. So when I first heard about patient-oriented research, I was really enthusiastic and I looked for a way to be involved. Though at first finding opportunities was really difficult, especially as the rest of the healthcare infrastructure was also not prepared to engage with patients at that time. That's great. Um, maybe Annette, I would love to know like what your experience was in partnering with the health research teams. What was that like? I found it a difficult path to follow to get from CIHR and the workshop proceedings that they sent to me. And then on to Canadian Foundation for Healthcare Improvement that fielded the first projects. They told me that patient-oriented research would find me if I was just patient. And um, I wasn't, but luckily for me, they gave me another clue that I could follow that led me ultimately to being part of the Ontario Sports Support Unit uh, as a patient member. Maureen, what was your experience like in working with the health research teams? Very close, very, very much like Annette's. Um, I, I got involved in my first patient partnered project by a researcher like like hesitating to get involved I didn't think I had much to offer I was really worried about it so we'd love to hear a little bit about your experience in partnering with the research teams it created an excellent learning experience and I felt that really the relationships of trust I, I saw them develop in one opportunity but not in the other and I used these initial encounters um, as a member of a team which created tools that were funded by the Ontario Sports Support Unit and are now on the website. They're called Partnering with Citizens in Health Research. And that was my first experience with the official uh, CIHR funded patient-oriented research. Since then, I've been in many more, in, in many more patient-oriented research projects. And one that I found really satisfying involved me as a partner from setting the question to being involved in the analysis, wondered actually in the paper that was published whether the patient engagement was sufficient. And to me that illustrated the experience gap between patients and researchers where, where our expectations and our uncertainties um, just don't match. Thanks, Maureen. Is there anything you wanted to add on that? Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything Annette said. It's not always smooth sailing. So I've also had a range of experiences 
mostly good, but I've had some that have really, you know, led me to do some serious thinking. But, you know, all of those experiences always allow you to, you know, reevaluate, learn, perhaps become a little wiser. Um, I, I can honestly say that it, you know, the, the whole partnering has improved a lot, like to, to, for, for me to have been involved for so many years and to see the evolution is very exciting. And it's moving into areas where we didn't normally partner. And there's a lot of learning involved in that too. But, but it's very, um, it's a very great environment. It's a great environment to be in because you have a chance to shape it. So there's no, there's no roadmap. So the partnering, and it depends on a combination of all kinds of factors. And I think when you read the Empower Award stories, you can see the range of experiences, the range of what people did. And uh, some of those experiences were probably, you know, groundbreaking and people were completely satisfied. And others were very honest and said, we could have done this better or this could have improved. So I think that's, that's kind of how it's set up. But for me, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think the, the, how I first became involved, the researcher said to me, uh, we will learn together. And that was the most powerful line that anyone ever said to me because I, that made me relax right away and figure out that this was a partnership where all partners were going to be learning. And I think that's where I think we I think we've mostly come to that point now. And that that's really that bodes well for the future of patient partner research. That's a great learning. And, you know, I bet there's a lot of patients and caregivers who would be really interested in participating in research they don't know that there's any opportunity to do so. So it's a bit of a revelation of the work that you've done. Um, and, and so I'd be interested in your advice for other patients and caregivers who want to become involved in, in research like this. Well, I've been really happy to see the demo democratization of research. Um, and, and of the research process. Now that we've all got so much access to information, we're not only partners in our own health decisions, but we can take part in the production of research evidence that underlies health and health policy. And that, that statement that's so commonly heard, nothing about us without us, fits very well into patient-oriented research. And it appealed to me as a call to action being a patient partner for me learn, means I'm always learning and I'm gaining skills, including people skills. And I'm spending time with people who are also very curious. Thanks so much. Uh, do you have any uh, suggestions? I know, Annette, you had talked about that, uh, you know, you were trying to figure out how to get involved with research as a patient partner. And I'm wondering if you can share like advice to others who are interested in getting involved with research. How would, how would they go about doing that? Okay, I'm gonna take that one, Anne. So first of all, um, the first step is really to make sure that you're aware of the opportunities, but easier said than done. How do you, how do, you do that? So I would heavily, I, my big suggestion is that if you're a member of a patient group, that you actually, you know, look to your patient group because they often know about a lot of opportunities. Um, the other big one for me is, is looking at social media. 
Um, for years, I read Twitter, uh, you know, every day. And now I've actually started tweeting, but I that was a that was a long time in coming. There are a lot of opportunities that are advertised on social media. It, you kind of it's a really good idea to look at that. So offers for patient partnerships will go there. Also, many hospitals have these, you know, they've always had these patient family advisory groups, you know, fondly known as PFACs, but they've also often created now patient family advisory groups for research specific to people who want to participate in research. I know for a fact that sick kids and the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario have extremely active groups. So that's another really, really good way of, of, of doing that. Um, oh, the OSSU has a website where all of our research centers and our research initiatives listed. If you click on there and you sign up for a newsletter, for example, you're, you're going to get uh, everything that's, you know, that, that, they're, that, that they're offering. So there was just a call um, about a month ago for ICES and they were looking for, for, for citizen and patient partners. And if, if you were, you know, I saw it on Twitter, but if you, if you don't like Twitter, absolutely not, then you could do newsletters. That's a really good way too. And, you know, you should also be keeping your eye open for courses for patients who want to be involved. There are many courses. Most of them, you know, are at a very low cost or even free. And they range from really detailed courses that could last for several months to, you know, half day workshops. And, and that's a really good way of getting involved, too. And when you go to those courses, you do a lot of networking. So people are aware, oh, because often they'll mix researchers with patient partners and people will say, oh, you're interested. I'm doing a project on this. So a, a lot of word of mouth and just a spoiler alert, our, our OSSU patient partner working group is working on a project to help people in Ontario find more opportunities for patient partnered research. So I would say that from, from 10 years ago, it is much easier today to, to get involved. Still a lot of barriers. I'm not saying it's, it's perfect, but it's certainly easier than it was 10 years ago. That's really great advice. And it's good to know that OSU is doing some work to actually support this. Uh, we are very fortunate with this uh, special edition uh, to have both of you uh, review all the articles uh, and think about the, how we have uh, evolved in terms of involving patients, caregivers in research like this. Uh, and I think it would be helpful uh, to sh share your perspectives on what do you see are the strengths of involving patients and caregivers in this kind of research? What difference has it made? Well, I think, I think that the best research solutions are discovered when everybody involved is around the table as part of the team. They're, they're planning and making decisions and the solutions are more applicable to the problems that are important to patients and caregivers when we're there. There's so much wasted research we heard recently um, in a talk that was given to us by CIHR in um, in the Evidence Alliance meeting. And with patients actually at the table describing what matters to them, what's important to them, um, I think you get much better research results that are far more applicable to to the patient population, not just to not just to research, the vague research 
Maureen, was there something you wanted to add about what you see as strengths? Yeah, I'd like to give an example of what I consider to be a key strength of patient-partnered research, and it relates to my experiences as a patient member on two health technology assess assessment committees in Ontario. So one that one that is, that uh, makes decision or makes recommendations for drugs, and one that makes recommendations for non-drug interventions, and. Um, when these interventions are being considered for funding, we also have, we always have a patient input process. And what happens quite frequently is that the reasons that patient, patients cite for why this intervention or this drug is important to them is often based on outcomes that were not reported in the clinical trials. So there's this mismatch uh, when the, where the outcomes important to the patients are not necessarily the ones chosen by the researchers. So when you read the report, there's, there's, you know, they'll say, well, what they said is basically anecdotal because there's, there's no research to, to back it up. That's very discouraging. When patient-partnered research is conducted, there really is a focus on the unmet needs of the patients and their families and the outcomes that matter to them. So when they're coming into the process and they're there should be a match between what they're reporting is important to them and what the clinical trials have measured. Um, to me, that's of utmost importance. So I've been doing this work for eight years now, and um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that as we move along, that, that that this situation improves all the time. And I think that patient-partnered research, I think that's one of the strengths of, of patient-partnered research, is really like aligning everyone and not selecting outcomes that are that are you know that are not important to uh, patients. So. Very, very happy to see that that situation is being addressed. Thanks. And, you know, I, it's still fairly new, this idea of involving patients and caregivers in research, uh, in the design, implementation, evaluation. And, and you had talked about, you know, that in your early work with a researcher that, you know, there was comfort in understanding that you'd be learning together. So I imagine there's still quite a few challenges that patients and caregivers face in participating and partnering with research teams. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges? I found that the research, the research ecosystem, the way research works is so different from the way things worked in, in my past life. Um, the timelines are longer than I realized, and there's so much background work um, there's a lot of relationship building and a lot of different people to learning people's places in the team and how they fit in. It takes time to develop these sorts of relationships. Uh, and two areas I personally found challenging, though I didn't even realize it at the time, was realizing that people with lived experience do have a lot to add to research. I discounted my own experience and um, and I was really intimidated by the research team. When you're sitting around a table and everybody has a, a PhD and even more advanced qualifications than that, and you're a high school graduate with lived experience of a disease, um, it takes a lot for you to come out with those first few words and ideas. Um, the other thing that I found was it's hard to nurture your ideas, like it's hard to even recognize an idea that's going to be significant to a research project when you, you haven't sort of 
develop that muscle, you know, you don't know that that little spark, that that thing that you're reading that makes you pause um, is actually an issue that you can develop and nurture and do something with. So it's it's hard to describe that sort of, of a process, but but it's been invaluable. And now when I'm reading, when I'm doing a review or when I'm reading a research project, I mark everything that I sort of trip over, you know, that 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 raises a little flag. Mark it and go back to it and think about it a lot harder. I agree with everything you said. And it reminded me of one experience I had very, very beginning many years ago. And I was on this rapid review and it was for an orthopedic um, inter, uh, device. And I was on this call with all these orthopedic surgeons and, and I was supposed to be getting my perspective. First of all, I was very intimidated. But secondly, at one point I said something. And um, there was complete silence. <laughs> I thought, oh God, what have I done? I probably made a fool of myself. What have I said? And all of a sudden someone said, get this down. Get every word she said down. Did someone record everything she just said? We're putting this in the report. This is incredible. <laughs> and it was something very, you know, banal. Like I, it was about, you know, this, this, this device only had like it would increase your 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 ability to get back to work by one day and I said when you go I had I was there because I'd had fractures when you go into the orthopedic surgeon's office and you know that you've got a 15 minute appointment and they're gonna they're gonna have to explain this device to you if it's available because that's their duty to care and they're gonna spend your appointment doing that rather than maybe focusing on the physiotherapy that's really gonna save you and I said you know it was limited time and it was just like groundbreaking and and i remember thinking okay um i can probably say things and not but when the silence came i really thought oh my god what have i done so exactly exactly what annette said like finding your voice and nurturing your ideas is a is a big challenge and having the courage just to say something and i think that often researchers try to create that very comfortable environment but you know, there's a power imbalance. No matter no matter what you do, and that is that is a challenge. Uh, if if you'll bear with me, I'd like to give a, a challenge specific to COVID. Um, and in some of our Empower Awards, that people talk about their 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 experience with patient partner research during COVID. So you know, there were like all these tight timelines and COVID related research. There was these early assumptions that there was not enough time to include patient partners and it felt that we were moving backwards, which was extremely discouraging. Those myths were quickly dispelled and we did begin to see more engage, more engagement. So it was it kind of spoke to the fragility of our patient partnered research, we thought it was really, you know, embedded and and all of a sudden a crisis came and it was like we were moving backwards. So another issue with that was was with the CIHR, CIHR definition of patient engagement, which does not include members of the public or what we sometimes call citizen engagement. So the pandemic research topics such as public health measures and health system impacts and mental health required a broader definition of patient to include the members of the public. So, you know, our focus has really been on patients and caregivers, but I think one of the good, good uh, you know, um, uh, str strengths of our system is that 
we're, we're flexible and now we're widening that net to really address COVID-19 issues that concerned us all. It, it, and, and so we are in, we're doing more citizen engagement in healthcare than we've ever done before. And, but it was a challenge to pivot so quickly and um, to find a place for everyone in the system. So I think um, I found that really interesting. And I was involved personally with that um, co-leading co uh, the COVID end uh, citizen engagement. And we put an ad out and within a week, 60 people had, well, 80 people had volunteered at a week. Citizens, people who had never been engaged in patient partnered research before, put their name forth and were willing to be trained and do this. So that whole myth about, you know, we can't do it in type time, timelines and people are too busy dealing with the pandemic, kind of threw that, kind of threw, threw that out the window. So, so I think challenges are always going to be dealing with the evolution of healthcare and, and what's happening in the system and making sure that our patient partnered research is still really intact and can just weather the storm basically and strengthen from there. So I was really happy to see in the in the um, uh, the the um, empower awards, people um, actually addressing what they did during COVID and how they pivoted and how they managed to keep people involved. So really important. I think your reflection that we're we are starting to definitely embed this idea of patient caregiver involvement and, and partnership in in research, but it's still fragile. And I think your your examples really show that we need a lot to do a lot more work to actually fully embed this and make this sort of a standard uh, for how we do research. So I, I'd be interested if you wouldn't mind elaborating a bit more on how you see um, you know, the situation evolving over time and, and what's really changed since you've, you know, since your early days in the research world. Yeah, lots of changes. Um, I think the biggest one for me is that I now feel confident in saying that patient engagement and research and patient partner research is a given, it's accepted, it's expected, and it's in constant evolution. So I really believe that we, we've passed that trend period that we all kind of worried about. Is this a new healthcare trend? And now we're really entering that just do it period. So I've seen my own role as a patient partner evolve very rapidly. So from first playing a, a small role on the team, you know, coming in at key points and maybe giving some feedback. And now I'm often a co-principal investigator, um, you know, 10 years ago, I don't think anyone ever imagined that patients would be co-principal investigators. It's a much higher level of engagement and, and influence in the decision-making on, on the team. So uh, yes, yeah, so lots of changes. And another big change is that we're more conscious of the need for diversity. And over to you, Annette, who's gonna talk about that. Yeah, well, I, I agree with what you were saying, Maureen. And when I became involved in research, I think we all knew that the ideal was to have the team reflect the diversity of the country that we live in or the That takes more time and effort though than the research teams actually had. So we often saw that the patients and the, and the caregivers looked very similar. The demographics were, were the same, but now that we have a better understanding, I think, of both the timelines that are involved in patient-oriented research and also the importance of patient partner compensation. 
so that we don't just have people who are comfortable and can afford to be involved. Um, I think this issue should improve for researchers, for patient partners, and hopefully for institutions too, because a lot of this comes from the top down. Patients do their best to influence it, but we're not always talking to the people who are the ones who are going to make decisions that will change things for us. So one of the one of the issues that I think will be will become, you know, has already risen to the forefront, but will become even more important in the future is really um, conversations about compensation. So it's um, it's a it's a subject of much discussion, discussion in Canada and and internationally. So as we get more diversity in uh, in in patient partnered research, and we're not relying on, you know, people like Annette and I who got involved as volunteers many years ago, maybe we were retired, and we had this time, but we, we don't want just that demographic, we want everyone. And compensation is a really important, it's important for reason monetary reasons, but also really important in, in expressing the value that people bring. And when you're working on a on a on a patient partner research, the patient partners is usually the only person who is not being paid. The other people are doing it as part of their job. So, so those issues are, are coming to the forefront. Sometimes they're tough discussions, but they're really important discussions. And I think, um, I think there's going to be a lot more conversation about that and um, agreement and, and also in, in working on the institutional barriers um, that are, that are there for, for compensation. Thanks. It's a great uh, segue to the final question we have for both of you, which is what do you see as the future for patient oriented and patient partner in research? One of the things I did when I first started was take the PACER course, which was about patient and community engagement in research. And we had to make, we had to form a team, come up with a question and do the whole research project all by ourselves. And so though we were supervised and we were learning, it was patient-led research. And I was really enthusiastic about the possibilities. And so now as a sign of the future, we're seeing that this, the uh, strategy for patient-oriented research, the SPOR Evidence Alliance, currently has three patient-led projects in progress with applications open for 20 more that are going to be funded by CIHR through the Evidence Alliance. So the ones that are there now, just as examples, one is called Supporting Patient and Public Partners in the Writing of Lay Summaries of Scientific Evidence. Another is the Effectiveness of Alternatives to Institutional Care for Older People with Ongoing Complex Care Needs. And the final one is Trauma-Informed Care, practice, care Practices to Support Caregivers of Children with, with Severe Illness. And so it runs the gamut from, from young to old, to scientific involvement. And I'm really excited to think about what might come up in these next 20 projects and how this might spread. So patient initiated ideas are finding their way to the forefront more frequently. And I think it's a great sign of faith in patient identified research priorities and a recognition of the value and of the impact that patient-oriented research has had over the last 10 years. 
So this concept of patient-led research will undoubtedly open the way to explore the concept of agency that patient partners have or that they need to be leading research or co-leading research. And now also we're seeing that the research infrastructure and the requirements are often lagging through not recognizing this new role for patient partners. Maureen. Thanks, Annette. Final word over to you, Maureen. So, I, I again, I agree with everything Annette said. I, I firmly believe that the future is bright. Um, I think that patient-partnered research will continue to expand into all areas of healthcare research where it's not as common today. So, preclinical, core consent development, reporting guidelines, or digital health, systematic reviews. And with that, there will be a reflection and learning on how best to meaningfully engage patient partners. So I think there's going to be a greater focus on the methodology. Um, I, I also think there will be a focus on this whole research enterprise infrastructure with the requirements um, that, 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 that are, you know, are, that are there for, for researchers uh, who, that don't often apply to patient partners who are, who are leading, you know, who are, who are principal investigators. So that's lagging. And I think that that's going to be changing. There's already been some changes made, for example, uh, on grant applications. Now we have our own applicant profile, you know, like that's better suited than a common CV so that we can, we can highlight what our strengths are. I think there's a lot more of that that needs to happen. Um, I'd say that, that there are many growing pains in that first decade and that we'll continue to refine patient-partnered research. And, but this will be based on input from everyone involved. So this, this siloed approach doesn't work. Everyone's got to be at the table to really have an impact on, you know, on refining that patient um, um, patient partner research. And for example, like I see a greater awareness of the importance of evaluating the impact from multiple perspectives. That's really, that's really the last three years, I'd say there's a lot of focus on that. And, and that's, that's a sign of, of, okay, we've been doing it for a while now. Are, are we reflecting on it? So I, I imagine a time, perhaps even in the next 10 years, uh, when patient partner research will truly be embedded in the entire research enterprise, you know, people will actually wonder how we ever managed to conduct research without patient partners. And that would be, um, that would be very exciting after over 23 years of, of, of engagement to finally, to finally see that happen. That would be a huge victory and uh, uh, really, really, um, really able to say that we have a bright future. Thanks so much to both of you. You've really kind of described a very positive future and vision for involving patients and caregivers as full partners in every aspect of research. And, uh, you know, I think we can all look forward to a, a different future uh, because of your involvement. You've both also shared a lots of great perspectives today and also really help pave the future for more patients and caregivers to be involved in research. So thank you both for all of the work that you've done and for sharing your perspectives today.